Computer, initialize Holosuite. to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine broadcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Today we're talking about Season 4, Episode 14, Return to Grace. Before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That is correct, and as I say every single week, you should find us and follow us because we are awesome. I actually really enjoy uh, doing the show and some other things that are obviously Trek-related that we get to incorporate into this, and then sci-fi-related, of course. Um, so, yeah, just go ahead and give us a shout-out whenever you can. Uh, follow along. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, of course, please send them our way. We would love to hear from you. Um, but tonight, we will be talking about the 14th episode yep. of the fourth season Yep. Um, which is Return to Grace, as David has already said. Very interesting episode um, for a lot of different reasons here, and we're going to get into all that. But before we do, there are a couple of things I did want to talk about. And, of course, as always, we have to check in with each other. So, David, how was your week? Uh, it was fine. Work is weird. I uh, It's been slow for me. It's been hard for me to close down any real important sales for a couple of weeks. And I was off. The last two days, I was I worked today, so the previous two days I was off. Yesterday, my coworker did fifteen thousand dollars in business on my day off. Yeah, I come back and I see that, and I'm like, "Man, come on now, what happened?" Turns wow. out he had some customer who apparently had already been in the store on some other day that he was there. I when I was talking with him, he was saying he had talked to the guy before, but the guy like. Dropped like $10,000 or something on his own sale. And then so the rest of it was other things that added up to about 15000 all told. And for the record, anyone in the mattress industry, I mean, $10,000 on a sale is a lot. So have 15000 for the day is, is a really good day. Um, I'm the store yep. manager. So if the store manages the bonus, I'll get a bonus. But I don't think the store will still even make the bonus, which is unfortunate. Um, it's just been a rough month. Uh, month of June was pretty rough. But otherwise, uh, I did finally finish a book I've been reading called The Great Debate, which is a, a comparison of uh, uh, Payne, um, uh, Thomas Paine and Edmund Burke. Uh, they're two philosophers at the around the turn of the 17th century. Is that how that works? No, 18th century, uh, around the Revolution, American Revolutionary War. I've spent a lot like the last year reading both of their philosophies. And so it was great to finally read a book that compared their philosophies together. Um, I was taking notes like a lot, like a ton of notes. And meanwhile, at the same time I was playing the legend of Zelda, the new legend of Zelda game. So I was like reading the book and then I was playing legend of Zelda and I finally finished that last week. So I got a chance to finish the book this week. I uh, started, or I had already started reading book two of the altered carbon book series and so okay. I'm in the middle of the second one. Um, I'd already I'd already started it. So I know you had said that you're in the middle of the Expanse book, and maybe I should start reading this week. 
I'm going to yeah. wait to finish reading the Altered Carbon book first and then read the Expanse book. Um, hopefully That's fine. I'll catch up with more you. Time. I was going to say, give me more time to get ahead of you because, exactly. yeah, I mean, um, I certainly do try. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is um, the show Silo. I think I've mentioned it already. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is uh, based on a book. I'll read that after reading the Expanse book. The show just had its last episode. It's Apple TV show. Last episode this week. Really enjoyed the first season. Um, looking forward to more. It's based on a, tr- a trilogy of books, so I don't know where the books fall in that, you know, the timeline of the show. Um, but really enjoyed the show. Um, uh, has Rebecca Ferguson, I believe that's her name, as the main actress. Um, she's the one in the Mission Impossible series lately. Uh, speaking of which, looking forward to seeing that when that comes out because I've been doing a marathon yeah. of each Mission Impossible movie. Okay, watch the fifth one. This I was gonna, week. I was gonna ask you. I was gonna ask you. Yeah. Um, uh, were you watching was... them on Paramount Plus? Uh, no. Are they on Paramount Plus? All of them are on Paramount Plus, and we're oh, gonna get into that. that makes we're actually sense. gonna. We had actually planned on us talking about that. Uh, tonight for a interesting i should have realized yes. that because i i went ahead and just like i don't have i didn't have a blu-ray player i have a bunch of blu-rays and dvds from the past you know however long decades but i didn't have a blu-ray player and i was finally like well you know if i'm gonna watch the mission impossible movies you know get them on blu-ray get a blu-ray player i'll have i'll be able to watch all my other movies but my dad <laughs> i've been watching with my parents because they live close by and we'll go see him when they come the new one comes out my dad was like, well, I'd rather watch it at my house because I can sit in my chair. It's better for my back. But they don't have a Blu-ray player, which is funny because, you know, I'm sure they have Blu-rays in their house somewhere. And um, so he's just like, oh, we'll just we'll just buy it to rent it. And I was kind of just like, I mean, OK, I mean, I already I already bought it. You know, if you, you could come here, but if you don't if it hurts your back, fine. Or I could bring my Blu-ray player. Maybe I don't know. But I just was just laughing. Like, I mean, I just bought it. You don't have to buy it all over again just to rent it for a night. But whatever. Um, the Mission Impossible movies are great. I think anyone who's watched them would say that they're all enjoyable. Um, and it's fun to revisit them. And, again, the second one is, is the worst of the bunch. <laughs> it's it's Oh, it's, really? Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've watched the second one. It's So, hang on, because we're going to get there. I'd actually okay. plan for this. Okay. All right. Well, I'll just say that, yeah, next this, this upcoming week, I'll, I'll watch the sixth one, folks, and then this, the new seventh one will be coming out here in mid-July. I think the 17th or something like that. And then uh, we'll have caught up in time for the new movie. So, Okay. How about you? What's up with you? Um, so my week has been filled with basically me trying to like finish things. Um, I've been reading, obviously, the fourth book in the um, Expanse series. Uh, it's getting pretty interesting, you know. Um, uh not going to go into a whole bunch of that because we're going to obviously talk about that when we do a after dark series but um really have been enjoying this new book and i guess now that we've moved things kind of away from um earth and mars and the belt and we're now dealing more with protomolecule stuff that has always been kind of the more um interesting um part of the expanse to me yeah um, I like the more the otherness, the alienness of it. So yeah. I'm I'm excited to learn more about it. I always felt like even on the show we just didn't get enough of that. So I'm glad that the the book gives me more. Right. Um, in addition to uh, that, I finished the show uh, Tulsa King, which is also on Paramount Plus, which oh. is the Sylvester Stallone um, show. He's the 
mafioso who went to jail for 25 years and then he gets out and he's really been kind of like expecting his due his reward for staying in jail for so long and they've kind of like given him the shaft a bit and now he's having to like rebuild himself and kind of you know get back the life that he feels like he was owed and subsequently denied but he's right. also older he's you know he's playing a 70 something year old you know ex-mafia guy Right. So it's interesting. It's definitely interesting to watch. There's elements of it which it makes you wonder, like, is this supposed to be comedy or is this supposed to be like hardcore? <laughs> they definitely in the final episodes did lean definitely way more into the hardcore stuff than um, before. But when that when it was when the first episodes when I was watching those, um, lots of great comedic moments in it. So I mean, the, the I think the thing you have to work through the most to really get to enjoying the show is Sylvester Stallone himself. Um, he, he's obviously had, you know, some things that have happened to him over his life. So the way that he speaks is a little kind bit hard sometimes. Mouth, yeah. yeah. It's kind of hard sometimes to understand it. But once you, like, just kind of let it, you know, work for you, you can get past that. And it's actually a pretty good show. I think it's very entertaining. I've been surprised at, which, at how much I've enjoyed each episode, okay. you know, so, um, so yeah, I would just say, you know, check it out. It, again, it does get, get a bit violent, so don't be surprised, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, um, I, I really enjoyed it. And I, when I finished it, I was like, okay, I'm ready for season two. If it has a season two, I don't see why it wouldn't, right. but, um, but yeah, it's, it's actually a pretty good show. Then of course, I've been trying to make my way through justified mainly because, um, I'd always liked the show when it had originally aired years ago. Right. I never finished it for whatever particular reason, not really sure what was going on with me then. But I've been trying to finish it now, mainly because they brought the show back. So it's been off the air for, I think, 10 or 12 years, maybe even a little bit longer than that. Um, but they brought the show back and it features, you know, the titular character, Raven Giv Raylan Givens, and his daughter. And, um, you know, he's kind of like, in this other phase of life is still trying to do things. But since that, they've just released the first season of that. In fact, the first season hasn't even fully aired yet and I want to watch it, but you want to um, catch from up my first. understanding, right? Well, from my understanding, you need to have watched the show in order to understand the next chapter that they're doing. So right. I'm trying to make my way through that and I'm almost there and then I'll be ready to start the, um, the new show. So right. I'm looking forward to that as well. Right. Um, right. And and then also because of Mission Impossible, I um, you know the, the new movie coming out and everything, I was realizing it's been a really long time since I've seen any of the Mission Impossible movies, and so I pulled them all up and I started reading like brief synopsis of each one, and I realized beyond the first one, I've never seen any of the other movies. Really? Never. Never oh, seen them. Okay. All right. So and and even then I was like I don't even really remember the first one. I remember the fanfare behind the first one. I remember yeah. the just the excitement and and all this stuff uh, behind the first one. But I didn't even really remember the plot of the first one. So um, last night, because in in true fashion I couldn't sleep for whatever particular reason, so I just said, you know what, we're gonna go ahead. We'll we'll watch the first one. And I will admit. It's entirely possible that I remembered more of the movie than even I thought. But it's, again, the movie came out in 1996, so a long time ago. Right. Um, but in watching the movie, 
certain things were so blatantly obvious to me. I was like, <laughs> how did, how was this such a shocker reveal, whatever? And I was like, maybe my brain is playing tricks on me and I'm remembering the movie and not realizing I'm remembering the movie. Because so many things, like I was watching it and there's like, you know, the, even the one of the main scenes in the beginning of the movie, they're in Prague and they're in like somebody's, I don't know, house or museum or whatever it is that they're in. Right. And it's like a, an elaborate dinner party, basically. Right. And I couldn't help but notice all the people who were watching them. And then it turns out that those people were in on some of the stuff that was going on. And he, you know, he points them out later on. And then I was, again, I was watching the movie and I was like, how much of this movie relies on people just not being observant of things? The like characters there are so in, many, the, in the movie not noticing The things, characters yeah. themselves and other people around them who are part of the plot just not noticing certain things. And I was like, are people just that clueless? Like, do you really, are you that oblivious to the world around you? You are so focused on yourself and whatever else that is just for you going on that you right. don't notice the other things that are going on. Like I, that's what I kept picking up every time I was like, as I was going through the movie and at certain scenes, I was just like, you know, noticing the things like kind of, I guess around the periphery of things that were going on. And then they referred to them later on in the movie. And so when I was like, how did no one notice this? And like the, the scene, the infamous scene, you know, where he's on the wire and drops down in the building and then the guy pulls him up and all that other kind of stuff. Right. Where there's a part of that scene where he is dangling above the guy. Right. He, the guy is in the room, right? Yeah. And when he walks in and the alarms and the sensory system is shut off, um, the floor is polished to a shine. Right. And he's in the room and he's looking down and he's moving. And I was like, you don't notice that he, that guy hanging <laughs> exactly. here? Like, Come on, four like, eyes, just look up not, a little bit. <laughs> right. Like, look up just a little bit. And even if you don't look up, the floor is like glass. Like, it's, it's crystal. I can see the reflection from the camera's angle that they're filming this. How did you not notice that guy right there and go, what is that? And yeah. look up and see. Right. So, like... There's just so much of that that I was just, uh, just in, in awe of the movie. And then yeah. um, there are some logical oh, leaps you have to take to kind of get, there, get in it. There yeah. are there are, and then there's and the one I thought also was a dead giveaway was um, John Voight's character. You know, in the movie in the early scene, spoiler he gets shot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Spoiler. 1996 movie. Just spoiler saying. Alert. Yeah. <laughs> spoiler alert. He gets he gets shot. And I, shot. I have to admit. <laughs> yes. Well, I have to admit, in that scene where he gets shot, I was like, he did it. Like, and again, I will admit that there's a it's entirely possible. I watched this movie years ago and I was just remembering things or whatever, but I swear that in that scene where it's like the camera is showing him getting shot, you can clearly see the arching of the arm. And tell that it's his own arm yeah. doing the shooting. That gun is holding is being held at it's, a strange angle. Yeah, and it's not even and even if and even if you don't necessarily notice the gun, you've got to notice the wrist and yeah. how cocked and bent it is. Right. No one's wrist looks like that when they're when they're holding anything out, let alone you know whatever. So like the fact that he was it was angled back towards him uh, was a dead giveaway in the scene. I was like, right. yeah, they didn't. They didn't do that well. They should have, you know, definitely just 
had another actor stand there and do it to kind of sell it and then, you know, do your, you know, explanation later on, which they eventually do. Uh, I'll, I'll just push back and say that you have to have that, that tease of that there's something wrong to make right. the twist work. But I, I know totally, what you're saying. Yeah. I, I, I get it. I totally understand. As a, and, you know, as a consummate uh, watcher of movies and TV, you caught on quickly. and Yes. And so, and so I watched it. And then I was like, okay, and I pulled up the rest of the movies and everything else, and I was like, yeah, I've never, I don't think I've seen any of the other ones. Um, and then I like really sat and thought about it for a long time and reviewed what I like clips and stuff, like not like not on YouTube or anything like that, but just like the stills, the promo pictures right. for the other movies. And I have not seen any of the other um, okay. Mission Impossible movies, so I'm going to watch the rest of them in prep for the one that comes out July 12th. Gotcha. Now, I. As I said, like, I, I did want to talk about this movie, but this was also going to be a part of our 90s segment, since we haven't done a 90s segment in a long time. <laughs> okay. Um, the episode that we're getting ready to talk about, Return to Grace, is was filmed in 1996. Um, this movie, or Mission Impossible, came out in 1996. It was a part of that kind of golden era, heyday of movies, you know, back when we did the... the uh, blockbusters you know right which i found out today do, do you know why they call them blockbusters no i guess not okay so a little brief movie history for you the term blockbuster was originally taken from a military term for a type of bomb that was designed specifically to break up blocks it was just it was designed to be dropped and On destroy a, a whole block a bunker, right. basically, yeah, okay. Yeah, it, to, to, it was a, big enough to take out a whole city block. That was the whole point of the bomb, right? So then when movies were, uh, then when they started doing more and more movies, um, it was designed, the movies were, were particularly designed to um, be successes. They had all of these boxes that had to be ticked off in order to be deemed um, a, a mainstream movie or an event. And then right. because of the way that they were designed to attract people, they were called blockbuster events. Gotcha. Because that was the whole point, was to bring in the block. Got okay? it. Okay. Okay. Got it. So, so, yeah, it was interesting to read about that, too. But anyway, uh, in 1996, this was kind of like the heyday of films. Top five grossing films of 1996 around this time were Independence Day, which came out on July 3rd of 1996. Um, Twister, which was the May 10th movie, um, Mission Impossible came out May 22nd, uh, The Rock with Nick Cage and, um, Sean uh, Connery, Sean Connery yeah. was, was June 7th, and then, out of all the action films, then the, the fifth film, The Nutty Professor, June 28th, <laughs> came out June 28th, Eddie so Murphy. you've got all these, yes, you've got all these action-packed you know, uh, big explosion, fanfare, you know, movies and everything else. And then you have this comedy, comedy. Uh, um, <laughs> The Nighty Professor. So interesting lineup of movies. But yeah, those were the top five grossing films at the time. And um, I was surprised to learn that Mission Impossible was third to Twister. I enjoyed Twister. I, I do remember watching Twister as, as a kid. and. Right. and uh, it was really a phenomenon in his day. Yeah. It really was. It was. Uh, that was the Helen Hunt and Bill uh, Paxton. Yes, I believe, that's right. Is yep. in the, yeah, yeah. And um, and also Philip Seymour Hoffman was in that movie. Is he? Man. And okay. uh, yeah, he's one of the storm chasers that is in there. 
Um, but yeah, great film about uh, a natural disaster and flying cows. But wow. yeah, and then of course, um, I could I honestly understood why Independence Day was number one. That movie was fantastic. I mean, you've got Will Smith, Jeff Welcome Goldblum, Bill Pullman. <laughs> Yes, you I mean you've got a great cast, great epic one-liners. You've got uh, great special effects, and then quite possibly the greatest motivational speech of all time delivered by the president at that time. Yes, and that movie also had um, Mary McDonald, uh, Laura Roslin herself was in that movie briefly. Damn. She was the president's she was oh, the president's oh. wife who dies. Oh right, okay. Man, I haven't watched that movie in a long time, so I'll have to yeah. rewatch it. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I, I was saying the same thing. I was like, I need to rewatch that movie just mainly to get to that part of the speech. It's such a great speech. Yeah. Um, hey I'll boys, for sure. I'm back. Randy Quaid. <laughs> How could we forget that guy? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you see the sequel that came out with like five or so years ago, Independence Day Two? I didn't. Oh, I have man. not seen it. You don't. You don't I have, have to. They don't have Will Smith in it, so I knew that Will Smith wasn't in it, and I wasn't sure why he wasn't in it. Um, because he don't was remember. smart and knew the plot was going to be terrible. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the movie probably could have been better if he was in it. Oh, I mean, it would have it would have been a success if he'd been in it. Just he alone would have made it made it a draw. But I okay. I saw it. I don't remember much other than like it turns out the first ship was just was not the main ship or something like there's the mothership truly comes and arrives in the second one or something. Uh, Um, I mean, I remember that being kind of the plot of the first one was we thought they, they first thought they took out the mothership, but then that big thing was the, the real big one was out there by the moon or whatever. And they had to fly up and blow it up. So now you're saying that that wasn't even it. It was, there's another one. There's There's something, there's something where like the queen alien at some point pops up. Like she's bigger than the rest of them. And, and she does damage to something, oh, so I don't no. remember the plot. All I remember is that it was it was bled, and Will Smith wasn't in it. Um, okay. So, but. Well, I, I I may check it out. You know, as my fascination with the '90s continues. Okay. Um. Real, yeah. Then on the. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was just gonna say with the Mission Impossible, the second one. I don't want you to get me wrong. Like, watch them all, but just know that if you're like the second one is meh. It's okay. The second one is meh. Okay. And then they get good again for the third one and on. Um, okay. John Woo is the director of the second one because the mm-hmm. first five movies, part of what was fun about them is they had a different director and writer each time. And then when he got to the fifth one, he likes that director, who, whose name I can't remember at the moment. And so he had him help him do six, and they're doing seven and eight. Uh, apparently the seventh one is going to tie into the eighth one. They're part one, part two. Right. Um so the first four movies are fun because you're basically just getting a standalone movie with kind of some tie-ins with characters from previous films, but very little else connecting them. And then the later ones, they actually start having a plot that is apparently tied together moving forward. Um, but the second one, let me put it this way. The second one is silly, whereas the other movies don't get silly. The second one gets silly and that, is unfortunately a detracts from from it because uh, the movies are fun when they're not being silly as much as they're just being high a- high octane action. Um, but definitely should watch it. You should definitely watch it just so you can I can hear your opinion and what you think. And then yeah, oh yeah, well that's coming. 
that's definitely coming. So don't worry about that. <laughs> um, I, I did find it interesting to watch the movies and again all the the '90s era tech and how we how they viewed spy stuff. You know, yeah. DOS systems everywhere, <laughs> the infamous the the spy list on on a floppy disk yes. being you know shuffled around back and forth. Yeah, there everybody's smoking. The use of of these rudimentary cell phones and pay phones were still a thing. Yeah. You know, I can't get um, a good signal in this, in this tunnel. <laughs> right. So many things that were dependent upon this, you know, and I was just like, all of those things just don't exist anymore. It's like, show this to a kid who was born in 2000, you know, or 2000 or later. Yeah. Right. None of it will make sense. Yeah. Absolutely. None of it makes yeah, sense. Exactly. So yeah. Um, <laughs> great. Great stuff. Oh, um, by the way, one of the fun things that seems to be coming true about this new movie coming out is one of the 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 FMI or the the IMF guy who's chasing Ethan Hunt in the first film. He's back for the new one. Kittredge? Yes, he's back. It's been oh. six movies since we last saw him, but he's the villain. It looks like in the new one. Well, he plays an asshole very well. I, as soon he as did. I as soon as I heard his voice, I was like, I don't know what his name is, but I know when I see his face, you're right. That I'm Kid not Chris. gonna like him. Yeah. And then when they showed his face, I was like, I knew. I was like, it's this guy. <laughs> I've seen him in so many things, and I was like, you, you just. You play bastard so well. <laughs> like there were so many movies in the nineties where he was just such an overwhelm he was just like a dick all the yeah. time. And I was like, you know what? It's it's something about your face and your voice yeah. that they have nailed it with you and you you have played that character so well. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I hope we're not commenting on your personal life by saying any of that. <laughs> I really hope I, all I'm saying is you're a phenomenal actor to be a yeah, bad yeah. guy. Yeah, like, exactly. That's it. exactly. You should, yeah. You should actually absolutely see it as a credit. You have sold the character so well right. that when I see him I just instinctively know I wanna punch you. There right. you go. That's all I can exactly. say. Um the all one right. thing I want to do after Mission Impossible, I've probably already mentioned this, but I want the new Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan movie, Oppenheimer, is coming out sometime after Mission Impossible. I forget exactly when. But I want to – I love Christopher Nolan. He's my favorite director. I want to marathon all of his movies, like you know, oh, one one movie a night up until the new one comes out. I don't know if I'll be able to manage it, but that's my uh, my intention. Um, I liked okay. Tenet. That was his most recent film. I know some people didn't like it as much, but um, – if you take the time to like explore, like if you go on YouTube and look up people explaining what happens in Tenet, you can really get an appreciation for how smart the movie is. It's unfortunate that you have to like go elsewhere to like get some of the like, oh, that's so cool. But um, if yeah. you do that, you'll really appreciate the movie a lot. And anyway, that's that's going to no, be my next I, couple weeks. Yeah, I feel like that's actually, you know, um, a really great selling point for a lot of different TV shows and movies. Like sometimes it takes the perspective of other people in order to get you to really appreciate what you've watched or right. watched a long time ago, whatever it is. I, th I feel like that's what we do with our show. I feel like, you know, yeah. for people who, even people who have seen Deep Space Nine, you might not have thought about or considered certain things until you hear somebody else talking about them. And right. so I hope that we can do that um, for people as well. Right. Um, to that end, switching gears, since we're Finally. not here to talk about <laughs> right all of this other stuff, man, uh, um, I hope you guys enjoyed as much of that as I as I did going yeah. through it, and um, <laughs> don't get mad at us too too terribly. But we are here to talk about um, Return to Grace and uh, this episode featuring uh, Goldie Cotton. You know, the first time we've seen him in a while. You know, last time we really you know got to 
see him interacting with anybody. It was still also Kira. And it was about Zial, and he was going to go and try and kill her. Right. And now he had decided to, you know, not. And so now we're seeing the kind of the fallout, not only the fallout from that decision, but also kind of where things stand with uh, Cardassia yes. and um, the Klingon military movement in general. And kind of seeing the evolving face of the Quadrant as we're looking at, you know, the, the Klingon war machines in full go. The Cardassians are still trying to recover from, you know, all the you know, the wars and from the occupation and so forth and, and all this other stuff that's going on in universe. Right. So, um, yeah, again, perfect episode to realize there are a lot of things you have to pay attention to that are kind of like on the peripheral of everything else going on to kind of get a sense of how everything else is working. At right. The time, you know? Yeah, this is definitely going to be an episode where if you don't know some of the backstory of what's leading up to this episode, yes. you're going to be missing out a bit. Which is unfortunate is, yeah. as an episode goes, but also means that it ties into the larger story, which is good. So, yes. Yeah. And this is kind of leading into that whole point of why DS9 is, you know, to me, such a better show than some of the other treks that we have. Because it does really depend upon, and I mean really depend upon, you having watched certain things that came before it. You know, Next Generation... Um, was very episodic. I mean, we got the couple, the occasional two-parter, you know, episode or whatever. But for the most part, they stayed away from direct references to previous episodes. You right. know, the characters were kind of they they showed growth, but it was on a much broader scale. Right. We didn't get to see kind of the minutiae that led them from point A to B and so forth. Yeah. Deep Space Nine did not do that. They definitely embraced serialization, yeah. and this episode really highlights that and they do it for everybody including our villains which is what we see here with ducat so um if you don't mind i will go ahead and do the summation on this episode since we're kind of behind schedule a little bit (laughs) go ahead catch up so as i said um yeah so as i said this episode is kind of a follow-up to when um ducat was trying to um kill his daughter he had decided not to kill her and to embrace her and take her home when he took her back to cardassia as we know from what we've seen of Cardassians in general, there is a there is a societal status symbol that your family can give you, right. you know, and having having your family kind of, you know, definitely very as a cohesive unit um, is more reputable than not. And so the fact that he had this indiscretion and had a child, not only did he have a child outside of his marriage, but he also had a child with, you know, the enemy at that time, you know, a, Bajoran. a, a Bajoran woman. Um, that you know, it was enough to completely tarnish the star that is Ducat, and he now he's gone from uh, this impressive military leader and advisor to now he is the captain of a freighter, you know, and a lowly freighter at that. You know, the weapon system sucks. Um, his crew is kind of subpar, you know, and and he's just kind of on. He's not kind of, but he's definitely on the outs. Right. So Kira has been asked by her boyfriend, the voice, the first minister of Bajor, Shakar, to um, go to Cardassia to this meeting with Cardassian diplomats and Bajoran diplomats to kind of um, update them on, you know, the state of things and certain technologies and things like that uh, that have been shared in their attempt to combat the Klingons. Because right. as we can re- also recall from Worf joining in season four, the Klingons are on the warpath. They had seen Cardassia as kind of a threat and wanted to eliminate that threat. So they had mustered a huge fleet to go out and stop them and then 
Worf and company kind of intervened and saved some members of the Cardassian um, High Council and so forth. Including Dukat, for the record. But... Including Dukat, yes. So again, a lot of follow-up here from a lot of things that have occurred already just in Season 4. So, um, again, Dukat took his daughter, Zial, back to the homeworld. They didn't really appreciate that much. He was ostracized. He was put on this freighter. He's brought Zial with him. Now they're having this uh, meeting with all these diplomats, Cardassian, Bajoran, and so forth. Kira is going along to um, update them, and Dukat has been assigned as the captain of the ship Grimal to ferry her to the meeting. They head out to the uh, meeting, and also, uh, side note, we learn that because of all this fighting and everything else that's going on with Cardassia, the, the, the uh, system is kind of in ruins a bit. They are right. suffering from... Uh, widespread multiple epidemics. People are suffering from a lot of different diseases and so forth. We see Kira getting inoculation after inoculation by Bashir in the early parts of the episode because disease has now become so rampant. So basically, Cardassian society is kind of on the fringes or the or the beginnings of falling apart. Right. And they're trying to save themselves. Right. So Dukat arrives with uh, uh, Kira to the location of the meeting only to find out that the meeting place has been destroyed. The buildings, everything is everything has been destroyed. Everybody's dead. Turns out there was a Klingon bird of prey that was cloaked, kind of waiting um, in, in silence here to ambush the next ship that comes through, which happens to be them. And uh, the ship then decides not to attack them because they're a lowly Cardassian freighter and decides to pass them by. Dukat can't handle the insult. He tries to fire on them, but again, his weapons are subpar. He does no damage. The ship leaves. He's upset by this. Kira kind of, you know, is beginning to understand. And I think it's also fair, it's important to note that Dukat's kind of been hitting on her the whole time that they've been on the ship, which is weird. It's real weird. We'll get into that and a little bit more. Yeah, we will. Yeah, we will. definitely will. So it's it's weird. And like in an odd way, Zial is like trying to help him, I guess. Like she's all, my father's not the man that you think he is, trying to get Kira to soften to him a little bit, I guess. Right. So anyway, Kira comes up with the idea to beam up one of the planet defense phasers, uh, phaser cannons that was on the, the planet where they were going to go have this meeting and install it on the ship. Um, Dukat's kind of against it, but eventually he decides to go ahead with Kira's plan. They mount the thing to the ship, and then they go off to find the um, Klingon ship that had attacked the meeting place. Right. They eventually find the ship. They do attack the ship. They damage the ship, but um, they get their own damage in return. And so they come up with this plan, basically, to have the crews swap ships. The Klingons get beamed aboard the Cardassian freighter and vice versa. Um, now Dukat is in command of a Klingon um, bird of prey, a much more powerful vessel than what he had before. Plus, it's filled with all this intel and stuff. He destroys the Cardassian freighter, killing the Klingons that were on board. Um, this kind of also weirds Kira out a little bit. Um, yeah. But then they're talking about all the intel, things like that, that they have found um, on the Klingon ship. Dukat is very happy. He's very excited. He feels like this is going to be the ticket to getting him back to his his status that he had before. He informs the Cardassian um, High Council about uh, the information he's found. And much to his dismay, they tell him, we're not interested in fighting. We want to seek a peaceful solution. So don't do anything. Come home and you can be a military advisor again. 
kind of feeling defeated himself. He gets really upset. He's like, I don't want to do peace. I want to fight. I want to take back what we had. I want us to be a strong power again. And he decides, you know, screw that. I'm not going home. I'm going to use this ship to kind of stage my own resistance against the Klingons. Um, he um, pleads with Kira to come with him. He feels like he's being very co- very convincing. I feel like he's being very creepy. Yeah. But we'll get into that later. Yeah. She ultimately says no, but does agree to do him a favor by taking Ziar with her to the station where she can live. Basically saying, I see the road that you're going down. I don't want that for Ziar. I've lived that life. It was a hard life. I know you don't want that for your daughter. Let me take her. I'll look out for her while you go and do this thing. Right. He agrees. She goes to the station. And now Ziar is living on Deep Space Nine while Ducat is off on his Klingon soul and Klingon bird of prey doing raids and stuff, I guess, being a resistance fighter. Right. So, yeah, that's essentially the episode. And as we've said already, we're going to get into it. But I feel like that's the highlights. Yeah. That's, that's the important stuff. Yeah. I'm going to go and say it now, now that you've done the recap. I feel this episode suffered by not having a B plot. I feel like our A plot was just not quite enough to fill the time we had. And so they had to work a bit more than extra, a bit extra to make this plot line feel full. And it's only full by like, I'd say like three quarters, four fifths. You know, it's, it's, it's not maybe quite enough for a B plot, but it's also not quite enough to fill in the time we have. Because when you think about it, it's a fairly simple plot. We're on a freighter. It's not very powerful. They have to upgrade the ship in order to make it powerful enough. In the ability to up- upgrade it, they're able to take on a, wor- a bird of prey, which is yet still not enough to kill it and destroy it, but they're able to commandeer it. And then Gold Ducat is going to keep it and make himself a thorn in the Klingon side. That's the basic gist of the episode. Uh, the yeah. stuff with Kira and Ducat and, and Kiral or whatever her name is, is, is part of it. But the reason I yeah, – yeah, sorry. Part of the reason this episode required a B-plot is I don't think Cisco appeared at all. If, correct me if I'm wrong, which is crazy. I don't think Cisco appeared. I know Cork didn't appear. I don't think O'Brien appeared. Uh, uh, yes, Bashir, they all did. No, they were all there at the very end. O'Brien, um, Cisco, and Dax are all seen at the very end when they – when the – when the commandeered bird of prey decloaks to drop oh, Kira off, yes, that's they're it. all there and opposite. But that's, but again, that's like a two. That's not even a full minute scene. They're just right. they're there just to say, hey, they're back and they've got a Klingon bird of prey, and we now know this. That's right. Okay, so every single character except Quark had a minor part. Bashir's giving the inoculations. Dax shows up and he says, "Aren't you glad you're not going?" Um, Odo is there at the end. To that was Worf. Oh, was it Worf who was there? Okay, that makes Worf comes sense. into the infirmary, so it's Worf, Bashir, and Kira. That's okay. And they kind of finish out that first scene. Yeah. And then we see Dax, O'Brien, and Cisco together in ops um, at the end scene in ops, and then Odo greets uh, Zial and Kira on the promenade. But yeah, the only characters that we don't see are Quark, Rom, Nog, and Jake. Yeah. And Odo, by the way, is like back to his normal self. No indication of the yes. previous episodes. Like he's feeling emotionally his inner turmoil with the love triangle. Yeah, he's back to normal. He's like, "Hey, welcome yeah. back." 
we you gotta you gotta stow away here with you and these like so this is always one of the main points that i've i've brought up with with trek um we don't know how much time has truly passed between the last episode and the one we're watching right i mean we always like to assume it's the next week but you know what there's absolutely no reason to think that it's it could be the next day it could have been 12 hours from then it could have been right this could have been a month right? right it could have been a full month since the last time right you know and even when when Kara is talking about her relationship with Shakar. You know, we we know it. It feels like there has been significant advancement in their relationship. Enough that um, Gold Ducat has heard new. about it, right? Yeah. Ducat has heard about it. He's he's well and aware complaining of about it. That's right. what's weird about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, darn it, Kara, we, you like powerful yeah. men, isn't it? Too bad yeah. that I've lost my powerful position. Like what the right, hell, Ducat? <laughs> Further, further incentivizes me to get back all that I've lost. So now you're roundabout indicating that you clearly have a fixation on Kira. Weird, weird. Very, um, very weird. And then, and it's just like he keeps he he just kept at it, kept flirting with her, and um, she's always shooting him down and so forth. And to me, it was completely like it's both appropriate and inappropriate. And I say appropriate that. Uh, in in the sense that Descartes was just like o- oblivious to why she would object to him, and um, or no, it's inappropriate as to why he thinks that she would ever be interested in him, and right. her reaction to him is completely appropriate. He right. was the oppressor just right. five six short years ago. Yes, the resistance was still going, the occupation was still going. That's not near, and I mean, and and there were generations of Bajorans suffering because of the Cardassians. Right. Five years is not enough time to forget all of the brutality of one race against another. That's just right. that's ridiculous. Yeah, and, and so Z- yeah, and Zial tries, as you mentioned, she's like trying to advocate on her father's behalf at points, um, saying like, "Yeah, when I see him, my father, I see him as a loving father. I don't see him as anything else." And Kira's like, when I see him, I see, I see a murderer. Like I, I can't right. see past that. Um, it's interesting. Uh, I should, we should back up real quickly to say that uh, Zial says that she loves her father and really appreciates him. He's been nothing but kind to her. He's never expressed any anger or regret about uh, bringing her back to Cardassia, um, and that's what Golducott says to Kira. And so we understand this poor girl's position. You know, she was uh, enslaved by an alien race for at least a decade um, in this weird limbo state, you know, half a Cardassian, half a Bajoran. So she's not, you know, really uh, attached to either culture. Um, We feel for her and we feel for her being pleased that her father is, you know, having a relationship with her. But yeah, Kira's right to be like, look, I am doing my best to just like go along with how things are going. Like, I'm not straight up objecting. You know, I've had to deal with Gold Ducat multiple times since the, the, the rebellion. But, like, she doesn't explicitly say it. I mean, I guess she kind of does. But, like, his romantic attachment to her that's been burgeoning is just... I mean, what kind of hubris does, does Gold Ducat have to think that she would be interested in him at all? Like, it's like because he had a Bajoran mistress... Like, he has a fetish for Bajorans, and so Kira being the one that he knows, like, she's in front of him is what I was, I'm getting at. He likes her because she's the only Bajoran he has any relationship with, frankly. Um, 
Right. You yeah. Know, he he's got this weird fixation on her. I don't feel. I never felt like his interest in her was was genuine so much yes. as it was. She was the. She was kind of the point person, the front, the forward face of the new Bajoran uh, provisional government. Right. And uh, he's, I mean, it's not to say she's not attractive or whatever, but he's just got, I think he's just fixated on her as this kind of, she's got this interesting relationship with everything else that's going on. She's obviously the Federation liaison officer. She's got strong ties with the Bajoran government and the military and so forth. She's got strong ties with the religious sect part of of Bajor. Now right. she's got her hooks in the political um arena as well <laughs> with the first minister and so forth. Right. So I think he sees her as kind of like um like I said, you know, a status symbol. We know that the the appearance and status is very important to Cardassians. Right. And I think that she represents something that, you know, once he's attained a certain level, that it's obvious that right. she should be with him and that she 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 should be interested in him. He even talks about Jakar and he's like you know, I can't understand what you see in that guy. He's a lumbering field hand. What right. could y'all possibly talk about? Right. He is, he's demeaning of, because that's his outward appreciation or his his outward assessment of Shikar. Right. He knows nothing of Shikar, even though they've kept, like, he's, he says they kept a file on him during the, you know, during the <laughs> occupation and his resistance cell and everything else. But the things that he kept, that they kept tabs on was not his military prowess, not the battles and, 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 uh, you know, campaigns or whatever that he won or lost or whatever it is, they were keeping tabs on who he was sleeping with in his resistance cell. Right. You know, he's Which, like, you were the only one of his of his members of his female members that he didn't uh, charm. Is which, what Dukat yeah, says. Gold Dukat says that, but man, I don't believe a word he's saying in that moment. I don't doubt that Shakar slept with one or two or had some liaisons with some of his underlings. Let's say he did. But it really comes off as, like, Golducott is really overplaying whatever this is. Like, yeah, he slept with every single woman he got get his hands on except you, and now he finally did. And it's like, Golducott, that sounds a lot more like what you probably did, frankly. <laughs> Let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like you're describing yourself, don't you think? Um, and we just saw Shakar in the last episode describing his kind of shyness around Kira and his, you know, like, I don't know how realistic it is. We only really just found that Shakara was interested in Kira, and then the same episode they're starting a relationship. Um, but Kira's response is perfect. She says, "I've known him for a long time. He knows exactly what to say to me, and he always. You will never be able to get to the point where he does." Um, mm -hmm. So it really comes down to a question of: Do you think that the show is making a mistake by having Golducott interested in Kira? Or is that just a, a character choice, and it's not that the show was wrong, it's just that the character is dumb to do it? What do you think? What do you think? Is, is it a show mistake I, or I a character mistake? I, um, ultimately, I think that it is a, I'm going to say an interesting choice, because there are certain aspects of the show that work because of his interest in her. Like, remember the early episode that we watched where they had accidentally um, act activated that old Cardassian protocol that locked down the station? Yes. And so, you know, when, when Ducat arrives and he's able to maneuver around the station and so forth, he's, even then, he's posturing and he's flirting with Kira. And Garrick right. calls him out on it then. He's like, right. she's never going to be interested in you. And it was like kind of a shocking reveal that he would, 
that that's what was going on, that, that the right. posturing was for Kira's benefit. And so I, I like that they have kept that consistent, that he's never really deviated from expressing this interest in her. Right. Um, wh- the reason why I think it's an interesting choice, too, is uh, I like seeing how Kira uses it to really kind of, you know, boost her own character a bit, you know? She's very um, confrontational and hostile right. with Ducat. And she's just like, we're we're never going to be friends. We are never going to be like this professional, us conducting business <coughs> is the closest that we're ever going to be. Right. Stop trying to make it more than that. Right. And I, I think it's interesting that she does it with him because we have seen her be very friendly and even forgiving of other Cardassians in the past. She did it with Kenny Gamore when he was doing his, um, when they had her, you know, looking like a Cardassian. That's right. The high command. She was his daughter. Guy. Yeah. Right. And then with the other guy in duet who, um, um, he had, he had surgically, he was a Cardassian who had surgically altered his face to look like, uh, this that particular... other Cardassian, the, the infamous butcher of Galatek. Right, that was season one, like the end of season that one. That was season one, the, yeah. the episode duet. Still a great episode, go back and Yeah, he was um, feeling guilty for his participation in the massacre, and so he wanted justice to be done not only to the the general, so he prepared, he pretended to be the general, but also to Cardassian society. He wanted the Cardassian society to be to shamed. To acknowledge what they had done and, right, and be right. probably shamed for what they'd done. And she was very forgiving of him for, right. basically for his attempts to make his people recognized that what they had done was wrong. And um, so, yeah, she was forgiving of those two individuals. But now, and so then again, it just goes to show you why she could never accept and move beyond anything other than that kind of professional, that tense professionalism that she has with Dukat. Because Dukat doesn't see that he's done anything wrong. He was a military leader. He was doing his job. He did his job well. And that's how he views himself. Well, and then so, in this episode, he starts feigning like he thought the invasion of Bajor was a mistake. Like he he thought. Now, did he say that? No. He said. He yeah, did not say that. Zial said. Oh, that's he said right. That. That's we right. We don't yes. know that he actually said that. Right. And also, he. I, and if he did say, let's just take what Zial said on Facebook. If he did say that. I fully believe that he said that for her benefit, yes. not because he truly believed it. Right. He was, he's, he's very interested in, it seems like whomever is in the room with him, right. he wants to present a certain persona. Right? Especially his own so daughter. With, like, you're yeah, Cardassian, or sorry, you're Bajoran mother, I loved her. Or yes, I, I loved her. I didn't take advantage of her. I didn't rape her. No, we were in love. We were going to be right. married. You were. This was going to be, which... Is hilarious. I was going to bring about a new era with you as proof of our love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Right, because it's like, okay, but you had a wife and seven children back on Cardassia that clearly are very important to you and your whole status and whatever else. So you weren't going to marry this woman and live with her and your your illegitimate daughter and all that. You weren't going to leave the role that you have built up for yourself. He was Legate Ducat for a while there. There's no way... He was going to walk away from that kind of power and prestige for this Bajoran woman and her half-breed daughter. That was never going to happen. Right. But he says those things now because 
he I guess he has to. He's got no choice. It's it, and again, it makes me wonder why he didn't kill Zial the moment he was away from Kira and they were alone. Right. Which it makes me just wonder, like, what is his, what's his end game here? What's his fascination? Hmm. Because it seems like, did he do this because he legitimately loves Zial and came to care for her, or did he do it because he's got this kind of long con end game in which somehow <laughs> him and Kira are together, and yeah. he knows that would never would never happen unless Zial died mysteriously right. yeah, or whatever. She... Yeah, she's somehow the bait to, like, make Kira like him. Yeah, that right. definitely seems to be a long con version. Like, part of me has wondered if, you know, because, um, who's Bashar, Bashar, uh, Bashir's friend? Uh, Garrick. Garrick has always come off as the rival to Dukat, and part of me has yes. thought that they were, like, spy bros together, but it's like, no, Gold Dukat has never been a spy bro. He's been a military bro. He's not as far thinking. This episode really brings it forward. It's Kira who comes with all up with all the like new plans, telling him like if you're gonna be a rebel, you have to give up your traditions, and and he's like, but traditions are hard to give up. Like he's protesting, um, yeah, Kira's no. advice, and yeah, Golducott, yeah, definitely comes off more as a schemer, like not as smart as Garrick and his like ability to like lie and manipulate, um, or or just be deceptive. But Golducott definitely comes off as like a schemer in the sense of like he's trying for something, but he's he seems to be kind of bad at it. <laughs> he's he's I always I don't took, know. I, yeah, yeah. No, I always took his rivalry with Duke with um, Garrick to be like you said. Um, Garrick was the sm- the spy master, and you know um, Ducat is the military man. So I always took it as. Their rivalry stemmed from kind of what we see in our own government to a certain degree with people who engage in covert ops, want all things to be covert, let them handle it, let the, you know, use a scalpel rather than, you know, a bomb to to do your thing. Right. And then um, uh, military personnel are like, no, we, we conduct our business out in the open. We... We do things, we have a protocol, we have a procedure, we have, a, you know, like, that's that's their mindset. Right. And I always felt like they, they clashed because it was just that kind of classic military versus that. That was their thing. And they've known each other for a long time. They probably started around the same time. Right. So having your rival kind of rise in parallel to you all right. the time right. is probably what fueled a lot of their animosity. They were They were always... Yeah, always parallel, always right. You know, no matter what, like even if one outdid the other one, it was temporary until the other one rose as well. And so having that kind of unfriendly rivalry going on for such a long time, I think that's why they also don't like each other. Plus, I'm sure they both tried to scheme and maneuver, outmaneuver one another, crossed a couple of lines a few times and really kind of got that bitterness fired up between them. So, yeah, so that's what I always took that as for them. Yeah. Well, going back to the whole Kira relationship with Ducat, when he first shows up, he's all like, oh, I'm in charge of this freighter because I was demoted because I followed your advice and I let my daughter live. And she's like, you regret that? And he's like, no, no, that was a great decision. I love my daughter and I'm so glad I... It's like, he keeps talking out both sides of his mouth through this episode. Yeah. And it's... (laughs) It gets to the point. I um, the actor who plays Gold Ducat is um, uh, Mark, Mark Alimo. Alimo, yeah. 
I feel like he was, like, this is why I'm getting out with, like, I feel this episode required a B-plot. I feel like he was having to do a lot of talking, you know, as Ducat. Ducat was having to, mm-hmm. to just talk a lot and get Kira, to convince Kira of this, convince Kira of that. I, I, I can't wait to regain my military prowess so you'll be attracted to me. Let me tell you why your current man is, is terrible. Oh, my daughter, I can't tell you if I love her or hate her. If she's the thing I love and appreciate, or if she's the worst thing that ever happened to me, I can't tell you if I, uh, if I, if I want this bird of prey, or, or, or if I want my military status back. It's like, Gil Ducat. I kind of wanted to shake him at some point. I felt like the character was just talking so much. And I, again, I feel like that's why the episode were, would have been helped if it could have either. Basically, I wish it had toned down Gil Ducat and some of this a plot, fit fit in the b plot yeah. somewhere. And just and help tone some of the stuff down because I feel I felt like um, Mark Alimo. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- I felt like he was having to work extra hard at times. Yeah. Like he was a lot of the weight of making this episode work was on him. This is mainly an episode about yeah. Will Ducat, as I think it, about it, it. And I was that's what I was just gonna say. I was like, I, I agree with you that he had to do a lot of talking, a lot of ex- explanation of things because the episode is really about Gul Ducat here. Right. And the the complexity of the character, how he's changing. Because again, when we're first introduced to Goldukat and really Cardassians at large, they are the enemy. Yeah. They are the enemy. They were the ones that were occupying Bajor for 50, 50 years. That occupation has really just ended six months, eight months ago, you know, so forth. And, and even then, they're not really sure if they're going to change their mind and come back. That's why the Federation was invited by Bajor. Because right. even though the Cardassians left, the threat of them returning was still very real. Right. So, you know, much of what we're seeing here is kind of the, you know, we're, we're needing to shift how we perceive Ducat and by extension Cardassians. Right. And um, again, since he was introduced to us as our villain to kind of introduce Cardassians to us, right. I think that that's why they went with the choice of using him again to kind of help us begin to pivot on how we view Cardassians as well and um I can see what you're saying about there needing to be kind of like a, a B plot to a, at least let him not have to talk so much maybe right. if we'd gotten to see more things instead of having to listen to him explain right. everything to us right. would have made it a bit easier because yeah. the heavy lifting of all of the conversation having to pay attention to everything that he's saying and right. uh, finding out and we're finding out the state of the Cardassian Union through him Right. So there's yes. a lot of things here that we're that we we have to take based on what he says. Right. And that can be kind of hard to do, especially when he's he's talking so much and he's also saying other things that we just don't agree with. Right. And in my case, for example, the the constant intermixing of this righteous anger at how far his people have fallen mixed right. in with his pursuit of Kira. Yeah. Made it very hard to kind of like get everything and be yeah. totally on his side, which I think is kind of the point. I don't think they want us to be on his side, at least not no, yet. definitely. I think they yeah. want us to just be like, at the very least, he's a complicated character. There's something right. else going on here with him. Right. We're watching an evolution of a character here. Right. And it's just, it hasn't all been done yet. And it's not supposed to be because right. we got, we're, this is only season we got four. got a story to tell. That's why I was yeah, asking if exactly. you think it's a mistake on the character's part to going after Kira or the show's part. And I would have to say it's the character. Like, not, the show isn't making a mistake to have Gold Ducat be yeah. weird like this. 
they have to make sure they deliver on it. And so far, we haven't yet seen the end of the story, so we'll have to see how this progresses. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, part of the reason he's also being so weird and creepy is so often Kira is working. She has a, a, a tricorder out, like a Cardassian version, and she's doing uh, something. Bajoran. Is it a Bajoran one? Okay, well, they're on a Cardassian ship, so I thought it was a Cardassian version. But anyway, yeah. um, and there's Gul Dukat over her shoulder, just talking and like, but Shakar ain't got nothing on me. It's like, bro. Right. <laughs> Like, come on now. You're not even, like, doing any hard work here on the ship. You're just standing around waiting for other people to get the work done. Come on now. Right. You're you're yelling at your lackey over here, the uh, Damar. Yeah. He's He's been doing everything. He's he's trained your daughter. He's showing her fighting techniques. He's fixing the ship. He's doing all this stuff. Meanwhile, you're over here hitting on the, the Bajoran lady who's got no interest in you. Right. Just shut up and fix the yeah. ship I, so we can move on. I want to quickly say, I thought his uh, second in command at some point, because he was, the camera kept going over to him. And near the end of the episode, where his daughter says, I need help in the engine room. And the second in command is like, I'll go help. I could have sworn in that moment, I was like, wait a minute, is he a changeling? Is he about to, like, perform Um, some sort of weird, like, we we destroyed the Cardassian Bajoran diplomatic mission and you'll never get us <laughs> or something. I thought he was going to kidnap the daughter and that was going to like bring this episode to some weird climax or something. And then it turns out Gold Dukat comes out of the shadows and he's just been on the phone with the high command or whoever. And they're like, nope, we're not going to have you attack yeah. anybody, which is in the, again, the Cardassian society and their military has fallen to the point where they're trying to do diplomatic relations with the Klingons. Like of all the races other than the Vulcans, I'm sorry, the, the Romulans, I can't think that diplomatic <laughs> attempts are going to do you much right. good. <laughs> and again, the Klingons are the ones who initiated this war and yes. started the conflict. Do you, and the Klingons are known for not really tolerating weakness. Yes. So do you think coming to them with a diplomatic solution is really going to work? Right. Probably not. So in again, so there are moments where what Dukat presents makes sense. Right. You know, you got to respond with strength. You need to fight, you need to attack, you need to rally, you know, whatever. But it's it, the way that he positions all of it just, it, it's so, it's jarring. We, we jump yeah. back and forth so much right that yeah it, it's a little little hard to uh stomach at times right you know yeah. and like when Kira even calls him out at one point when she's telling him you know you're i'm trying to fix this and get everything up and running here because they killed not only my people but your people as well you right. are so focused on shikar and us dating and whatever else you don't seem to care and then he gives her this impassioned speech about those are my people and no one's going to take advantage of them and I love him, and I'll, he he does such a great job with it. But it's hot on the heels of him being like, "So, I mean, Shakar, really? I mean, the guy's <laughs> yeah. a you know, he's kind of a tool. Like, he's so simple. Like, yeah, it's just like <laughs> shut up." Yeah. And then, and then you know, the last speech he really gives, which I think was supposed to be like the one, you right? Know? And that's where he's trying to convince Kira to come right. with him, and he's right. like, you know. I know that we'll never be, you know, friends and all this stuff, but I'm not talking about that. This is your opportunity to be a soldier again. And I know that everything's telling you to say no, but I know somewhere in there, there's a yes. There's a yes. You need to listen to that. that yes. Yeah. 
you know, there was, I was like, are you, are you still talking about being a soldier? Cause it almost sounds like you're talking about something else. Cause you've done such a great job of bouncing back and forth that I'm just like, this could go either way. Right. Yeah. And, and um, then Kira later yeah. on, he's like, so was I close to convincing you at all? And she was like, not really. Nah. <laughs> That's where I think nah. again, it's not the show making a mistake. It's the character making a mistake. Yeah. Um, the show is smart enough to not let Kira really entertain any of this nonsense. She's like, no, what the hell? <laughs> so, and to that end, I will say for some behind the scenes information, there is a documentary called What We Leave Behind. That's all about Star Trek Deep Space Nine and all the stuff, you know, how the, how the actors have viewed their characters through the years and all the follow up and stuff that you can, that you can get about the show. Right. And there is a section in this thing where Mark Alimo and Nana Visitor, Ducat and Kira respectively, are talking about their characters and their particular interactions. Right. And Alimo blatantly says, absolutely, that Ducat wanted Kira. Right. He wanted to sleep with her. He wanted to possess her. He wanted right. her to be his. And Kira talks about how, or, you know, Nana talks about how she knew this. She was very much aware of this. And it creeped even her out. She was like, I... The I didn't like it. I, yeah. The actress out. She's like, I didn't like it. I didn't want to be a part of it. She's like, I hoped that it never happened. Yeah. She's like, I was, I was concerned that there was going to be a point where they were going to make something happen, right. and I was glad that they, uh, that they didn't. And right. I, and when I, when I heard her say that, I was just like, I'm so relieved. Yeah. Because if it somehow they had worked it around that Ducat yeah. and Kira ended up together. I think that would have destroyed the show for me. I yeah. just, there's just no way in right. my opinion that that could ever happen. Right. She may be able to make, to, to get to a point where Kira could not necessarily forgive Ducat, but be okay with him being around. I right. guess she could put out, she can put the past out of sight long enough to do what she has to do. And, right. And do it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's too much bad blood between her and him personally, plus their people and what they've lived through recently. I just, I don't see a friendship for those types of individuals, people who lived through the occupation, who fought on the resistance for the occupation, or were a part of the military for the Cardassians who actively led campaigns against them. Those people, I, I just don't see them becoming friends. Right. Let alone bed partners well I, just, I don't see that happening as i think about it more I, th I think what it really comes down to is i feel like gold ducat really it feels like what he wants is for kira as a representative of the bajorans at least in his mind if she were to submit to him that would have proved to him in his mind that all bajorans would submit to cardassians in some capacity they would admit the superiority of cardassians you don't mm -hmm. like your Bajoran boyfriend. You like a Cardassian boyfriend. You want a Cardassian male, not a Bajoran male. And that that's why his daughter is in this weird kind of spot in my mind of like, is that, I, I'm curious to know how this mistress Bajoran of his worked. I don't believe that he had a loving relationship with a Bajoran woman. She might have had so. to pretend it for her own sake. But it was coerced on her yeah. end. And Gold Ducat doesn't get that. I think on some level he thinks that if a woman 
a Bajoran woman submits to him, it's out of some sexual prowess that he somehow possesses on behalf of all Cardassia. Like the Cardassians have yeah. something over Bajorans, and that's why it's just so creepy. It's not. I would. Not... I would agree because I because that also harkens us back to the episode Indiscretion, where him and Kira were traveling to find the uh, Ravenok, I believe was the name of that ship. Right. Um, and he's even telling. He was telling. I remember him telling Kira in the shuttle. You know, he's like, you know, um, Bajor has a lot to be thankful for because of Cardassia. Yeah. You know, we made you when, when he said when we when we first encountered you, you were a you were a backwards race and people. decline. Yeah, race yeah, and decline. You yeah, you were you were you were slovenly. You were slow. You were whatever. You were deep in your religion, and then we came and we turned you into intelligent, hardened, militaristic. You know, a professional kind of people, and right. you wouldn't have that that hard temperament. To, to make it through anything if it wasn't for us. Right. Like he's even trying to spin the occupation as as this kind of, you know, yeah. Bajor needed to take its lumps in order to be a better yeah, it's, society. It's, it's the ridiculous as- assertion of you're a better person because you were abused. <laughs> Your right. abuser yeah. made you better. Like, uh, we, we, that is we not we beat you, Yeah, <laughs> right. We beat you down. We subjugated your people. We we took all of your resources. We enslaved half your population. We killed the other half. Uh, thanks. You're, <laughs> I mean, you're you're welcome. Yeah. You should be thanking us because right. now look at you. You're you're all free. You got your whole planet back. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, look at how great you are. The Federation wants you. <laughs> like you wouldn't have any of those things if yeah. it wasn't for us. Like that's yeah. that's kind of how he's spinning it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So yeah, it's um it's interesting the way that he tries to keep uh, uh putting himself in this kind of best possible light. And even yeah. with Kara, he's just like again, you wouldn't like with with the whole dating of Shakar and everything else. Like again, his his focus on Shakar is lumbering field him. That's how he how he talks about him. He's a simplistic man. You on the other hand, you're you're very sharp. You're very keen. You're very yeah. you know you, you're you've got this militaristic mind. Think of what you've done just in the short time you've been with us now. You know, you've got this great innovative mind and um, how could you want to be with somebody as slow and simplistic as Shakar when you could be with someone who is your your equal at the very least, you know, or, or you're, you know, you're I'm so much better than he is. Yeah. I'm I'm a soldier. I've got this, you know, that's kind of how he's trying to present himself. Right. And yeah, it's just like. The, Which, the attributes that you're highlighting we only have because you brutalized us. Like that's right. not what we wanted. Well, yeah, and he, yeah. he uses the he, he keeps calling her and Shakar terrorists. Y'all were terrorists. He does. And he openly he refers to and he and he says it such so harshly too. Yeah, I it's, it's like a slur. Like Jesus Christ, right? Yeah, and then later on when he's basically being told by Kira, like, yeah, you have to take on that role yourself in this fight against the Klingons. His initial reaction is is one of. Like, but that's just not how we do things. And she's like, like, okay, well, you need to learn how to do stuff. So, yeah, it's interesting to say the least. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, he, he, uh, the back and forth.
yeah. I can hear you. It's just crackling a little bit. <laughs> it's good. It's back. Yeah, sorry about that. Go ahead. Sorry, I can't hear you on my end. <laughs> I must I don't know what or something. We're almost done. Great. We're almost we can wrap this yeah. up. But <laughs> I was just gonna say it works for us more than not. Um, yes. but at the same time, um it would have been better had we seen more of these behind the scenes things that kind of got him here than what we actually get. So right. um I again I agree with you. We could have not necessarily needed a B plot, just right. a little bit more of of the behind-the-scenes stuff and the struggles with the the top of console. That's the Cardassian government. So yeah, right. it would be good if we could see that. Though I understand why the show can't, or at least won't show us that. To be fair to the show, like that is behind the scenes for a reason. We're focusing on the Deep Space Nine crew, but yeah. Well, I think we've pretty much done everything that we need to for this episode. <laughs> True. Um, <laughs> and and then some. Right. Uh, we didn't go over nearly as much as I thought we were going to, but um, I did want to just say uh, really quick, we uh, you know we're in full go here with Strange New Worlds, um, Star Trek Prodigy, the the cartoon show that was geared towards kids for Nickelodeon, has officially been pulled from Paramount Plus. You cannot watch it anywhere anymore. Um, I don't know if it's going to end up on Nickelodeon, which I don't think that it will, considering that Paramount is a parent company for nickelodeon so are they gonna, gonna be do available. a tax write-off with that i know like warner brothers did that with the bat girl that's, maybe or something that's what has been floated around was that this was done as kind of a way to you know stem some kind of cash flow uh i don't know how true that is i haven't really looked into it all i know is there's been a lot of stuff out about prodigy and like how significant the show was and it, it apparently it, it had won several different awards. I wasn't aware of this. It just all came out recently. So the fact that it was canceled right. um, is kind of like sticking with some people because it's like it was actually more popular perhaps than anybody really realized. Okay. And um, the information I've been seeing so far is that, yeah, it, because you had people who were fans of Star Trek, you know, you know, adults, right. who were glad to finally have a show that they could really – watch with their kids you know right. that really hadn't happened since the original um um cartoon star trek show from the 70s right so this is the first time that they had one that was geared towards kids because i mean the other animated show lower decks is not geared towards children it's it's right. just not right. um and there were aspects of the first season of prodigy that were definitely more kid friendly but then as the show progressed it was kind of aging things up a bit because it was moving along with kids as they age. Right. So, uh -huh. yeah, so to have that subject cut short has really kind of, you know, angered some people. So there is a massive campaign <laughs> to get the show not only put back onto the Paramount streaming platform, but to right. also continue it. I did check in on this particular um, uh, petition. Uh, the petition went up uh, the day after they removed it, which I think was like three or four days ago. Within right. 48 hours, it already had 200,000 signatures. Oh, wow. So it's, right. yeah, it's quite popular. Star Trek has a history of this. <laughs> it, yes, and that's the other thing, too. Star Trek does have a history of petitions and write-ins <laughs> saving shows. The original series would never have gotten the third season if it wasn't for it. 
Uh, Strange New Worlds would not exist right now if it wasn't for the the writing campaign. So yeah, Star Trek fans, uh, they they know how to put together a petition, I guess. So who knows? Maybe it will work, and maybe maybe Prodigy will um, will continue for a third and maybe fourth season. Uh, you know, just on that point, I just want to quickly say, I feel yeah. like there are a lot of shows that, like, you got to give it a couple years to really give it a chance to earn its its fan yeah. base. Like, I don't know how, yeah. how what the science is behind that, but I feel like there's a number of things where it's it's a snowball effect. You know, the first couple seasons I, probably I don't have the viewership, agree. but you give I it a shot, agree. you give it time, and you let it just build because like the silo show i just finished watching i didn't start watching till like episode five or something when my mom had mentioned it she's right. like yeah we've been watching the show we like it and i was like oh great and i saw a trailer and i was like i want to watch that so i wasn't there for the first couple episodes i don't know yeah. it no i i 100 agree i mean heck the expanse was another show that was like that it got canceled and if it wasn't for the writing campaign that show never yeah. would have continued on and right. it, and its fan base became much bigger afterwards i mean when you think about it we've got so many different streaming platforms and ways to access shows and and everything else it's impossible for everybody to watch every single thing it takes a while for things to kind of make the rounds make the circuit and it's often that you find shows well after they have been canceled and you watch them and you're like this is wonderful and then you go to look for season two and there is no season two Firefly is a prime, <laughs> yes. I was going to say, Firefly is a prime example. One of the biggest mistakes that, in all of TV's history. I'm sh- there's got, I'm sure that whoever was the, the CEO, exec, whatever, of Fox at that time, I'm sure they've since retired or whatever else. Yeah. But I bet you there are still moments where they kick themselves. Isn't like, Fox notorious? Show, at least there was a time when Fox, Fox was notorious, is notorious for that. Yes. Fox is notorious for greenlighting shows, giving them one season and then canceling them. It's if they're not an instant catch on success, they don't want to have anything to do with the show anymore. And I don't understand that at all. Right. Like some shows, they just take a while. And I've noticed that other streaming platforms have kind of gotten into that. Netflix has gotten into this of they will do a show for like three seasons and then they cancel it. Right. And it's just like, why did you cancel that show? It was just getting good though. The fan base was there, and then people come back to the show, right. you know. And now the show has been canceled. It's been that's been off for three years, six years, or whatever. And now it's got this huge fan base, this huge following, and everybody's like, "Well, why was it canceled?" And now they want to do a revival of the show, and the actors can't do it anymore because they've now moved on to other projects, and you know they're doing other stuff. And it's just like, why? Yep. Like give give the shows a chance. Yep. You know and. One thing I would love to see is like we have this, and this goes back kind of to the movies, you know, thing too. We have this history of uh, like the blockbusters. We will do them forever. Like we're on Mission Impossible seven and eight, right? Right. And we will keep doing them, and then we'll and then we'll do reboots. Like how far away are we really from a Mission Impossible reboot of right. the first movie? Right. right. Yeah. You know. Uh, a new cast taking on the role of Ethan Hunt and, and so forth. I feel right. like that's, you know, that's closer than we think. Yeah. Um, but then there are a lot of movies that had a great premise, great plot, great story, but terrible director, lackluster performances from certain actors, and they just, they, they came out, they flopped, and we never heard from them again. Right. I would love for somebody to go back and redo those movies. Right. They had great stories. Right. They just needed better execution. 
Right. And if they would do that, and it would be like a breath of fresh air, because we, because there are movies that we've just kind of pretty much forgotten about. Right. You know. And no, unfortunately, I don't have any examples. I wish I did. Now that I've just <laughs> said that, I wish I had some examples of some some movies that would have been better, that would be better now. Right. You know, than than well, back then. I, and all I can think of a lot of. Only thing I think of was anything that had like a lot of early CGI stuff where that technology right. wasn't quite sound yet, wasn't quite proven, but right. needed to be, was pivotal to the plot. Right. Any of those movies, I bet, would be better now right. than when we did them in the early 90s. Okay. I was just going to say that when it comes to shows, like The Expanse, for example, if I think if Amazon had been public about, we're going to commit to nine the ninth season. Like We got it while well, it was three seasons in. We're going to commit, like there are nine books, we'll commit to nine seasons. And like they make that bold statement up front, and they would just pitch that to all of the people that might watch it, and that would just convince people like that's how invested we are in this storyline. So come see it. Uh, we're not gonna like hope it works, you know, and then cancel it halfway through, and then like ah, sorry. Like if you were to go out to the public and say we have a story we're so committed to telling, we're gonna do however many seasons. I mean, I feel like that's why Lord of the Rings was so successful. Uh, I know we're getting on a tangent at this point, but like they did the three Lord of the Rings movies. They shot them back to back to back. <laughs> right. I, and, 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 you know, and they were massively successful. So exactly. much so that we have now expanded upon that universe ad nauseum. You know, we're right. we're doing things now that, I mean, just like they were, they're having to. There are more up, video uh, games from Lord of the Rings than I care to yeah. even count. I mean, goodness I mean, gracious! To knock up the ancestors of Tolkien and ask him <laughs> and ask them for you know, can we get his his notes, his old diaries, so we yeah. can pull yeah. some of stuff because they they we've run out of source material. All right, they're yeah. they're trying to expand this stuff so much. Right. Like that's how crazy you know, and that's all because they were committed to the original project. And heck, I hear that they are you know going to do another Lord of the Rings series. Well, they're doing the um, the Rings of Power. They did season one. Uh, I guess no, it was I'm the talking last about. What, I thought they were going to redo the Lord of the Rings movies. Are they? Are I they will double that? check on that. Huh. Um, but another series that's that, having that the same. Like I've heard that. Yeah. But. Yeah. But there's another series that's doing the same thing, and that's Harry Potter. You know, they're oh. getting ready to redo the Harry Potter oh, series, stop. but this no. time, but this time it's not going to be as movies. It's going to be as a TV show. HBO or Max, I Max now. Not Please HBO tell Max, me you heard Max. this in a fever dream. No, you were you no. were sick, and you sorry, hallucinated, and you remembered it. Sick in a long time. Sorry, <laughs> I haven't been sick in a long time. So no. um, Someone get no, this man can... COVID and shut him up. <laughs> um, but no, uh, yeah, I heard that uh, this is going to be a series um, for. I will uh, go Harry, to Hollywood myself thing, yeah. and picket those damn lines with the rest of the Writers Guild. Did they ever work that out? I know it's Saturday and last night was supposed to be the deadline. I don't. I haven't heard anything. I didn't hear anything, so I, I don't know. But um, I will go picket no. myself and be like, never again. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> no, Come up with new content coming, for crying out loud. That's what I'm saying. We're 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 so like everything has to be a success now. There's just no. The, no room for error on any of it. So this desire to to keep remaking things instead of taking a chance on something new right. is crazy to me. And right. I mean, and you know, to bring it all the way back to Paramount, you know, Paramount canceling Prodigy, canceling Discovery, um, kind of, you know, 
shortening down their or narrowing their focus to these um, these few things here right uh is is a mistake in my right. opinion you should be you know and and it's like again you you canceled discovery but you're keeping halo why makes no sense halo is terrible it is it is objectively terrible right. um such a massive departure from the source material entirely right and for and and yeah for no reason Right. So yeah, but you're you're gonna keep that show, and then this other show that was doing well was getting better all the time, was really starting to find its footing, and I would not be surprised at all because this typically tends to be how it happens. But this fourth season of Discovery, I bet you it's it's amazing. I bet you it's a fantastic season, and we're gonna watch it, and we're like, wow, this show is great. This is what we've been waiting on. I wish the show had been like this the whole time, and now they're finally here, and it's over. They right. did that with Enterprise. I was going to say, you told me that's what happened out, Yes. Yeah. Enterprise finally figured out what it needed to be, and they canceled it. I wish they would stop doing that. Let right. things they, – they need that commitment. Let them run. Right. And, and it would be so much better. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that it would be a risk to say we're going to give them carte blanche for nine seasons, and then right. they, they're like, we can do anything we want. We can't be canceled. I get it. But there are times, especially with the with a brand like Star Trek, or again with the Expanse, where you have the material already there, you don't have to commit to some un, unknown storyline. You have an idea of where you're going. You can say this is how far the story needs to go to be completed. We'll go there and, and at least get there. I don't know. Yeah. But now well, we've I mean, definitely I mean, gone over. That's okay. <laughs> But but Star Trek Star Trek has proven again and again that it is a show uh, that is definitely it needs longevity it needs to have the full life if you don't give it the full time to really kind of you know open up and grab the audience then it's not going to be successful you know right. um, and you know now with the way that we do shows you know we had the twenty two twenty four twenty six episode seasons and then that was seven seasons of that. All that's gone now in favor of the 10 to 12 episode season. Right. Yes, there are going to be uh, flops here. You, you, They don't have nearly as much time as the – they've got half. They've right. got essentially half the time that right. the other shows had to to run to grab an audience. That that means you need to give them more seasons. So, yeah, um, just – we can go on about this for, for quite a while. Right. All I'm just saying is I, I just hope that uh, there comes a point where they kind of recognize their mistake. We stop greenlighting the same thing over and over and over again. And we allow new things to to go, to right. do the process. Right. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts as we wrap up this longer episode <laughs> uh, of the Fire Caves? No, no. Good talk. Good talk. Yeah. Well, we will be back um, next week with um, yet another episode for you all. I'm not sure exactly which episode. Uh, it's, is that. Obviously, it's the Wharf one. It's the Wharf one. The Sons of Moog, I believe, is what it's that's called. That's it. Yep, that's um, it. So we'll be back with that. We'll also be you know, doing another After Dark soon so that we can get caught up with uh, the Expanse series and what's going on there and some other stuff. The Dune are, Part you know, 2 trailers have been coming yes. out, stuff like that. Yes, yep. yes. And uh, then there's a little project I've been working on for um, Star Trek fans in general, um, which will be on Facebook here really soon. Right. So I'll be excited to talk to you all about that. I haven't 
uh, got all the final touches on that just yet. So just, you know, bear with us and we're going to cover all that for you as well. Right. So again, great things on the horizon for a lot of stuff. And if you're interested in just being a little bit more um, active in the Trek world, right. I'm going to try my best to give you something new that you can do that with as well. Right. Um, but until then, as always, you can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. And you can find us and follow us on all the various social media platforms, except for Twitter, which apparently, according to the news, is going to implode like any day now. So we're not even going to worry about that anymore. Um, but until next time, guys, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.